0: Welcome to Game Dev London. I'm Chris Payne and today we're going to be talking about uh, managing player expectations with video games, particularly in respect of the uh, reception of Baldur's Gate 3. So uh, with me, I have co-hosts uh, Jean-Luc uh, and Oscar. Jean-Luc, do you want to uh, quickly introduce yourself? Yeah,
1: sure. Uh, I am. Gamedev London's marketing manager, Jan Luca. Um, I also work for a studio called BetaJester, uh, and I've co-founded a studio recently, and I'm also a game design student part-time as well, so I'm Busy B, uh, and I do a bit of game design, a bit of programming, bit of marketing here and there.
0: Cool, and Oscar?
2: Well, hey, uh, obviously I'm old, I've been games for a long time, and I'm a host. Uh, I run a uh, living game publisher called uh, Fundamental Games. We publish as Jetpack Collective. Um, and uh, when I'm not doing that, I am uh, on a podcast to learn everything you want to know about game dev but never dare to ask here on Game Dev London.
0: Uh, where are you right now? Cause
2: it... <laughs> so I'm literally at um, Gamescom. Well, as the, the, the two days before Gamescom is, Devcom is going across the road for me. I'm in the Dorint Hotel. It's just opposite the main complex... <laughs> And you may occasionally find me waving at people during the middle of this recording because I literally have the great and the good walking past. I was uh, very delighted. Like a few seconds ago, I was having to wave to uh all members of Jagex who was just walking past. So it's a, it's a, and that's just one of many, many people who are in this particular lobby right now.
0: Brilliant. Okay, um, uh, I'm Chris Payne, uh, I am uh, I run Quantum Soup Studios and I've worked in the industry for 25 years or so and um, what I thought we would talk about today was the Baldur's Gate 3 controversy or at least it's not really Baldur's Gate 3 that is controversial, Baldur's Gate 3 by all accounts is extremely good um, I have not yet uh, had the pleasure of playing it but Oscar you have haven't you?
2: Yeah, I'm about 90 hours in. Um, I am completely obsessed by it. Um, and I, the, the, I, I recommend anyone who's got a Steam Deck. That is just fantastic to, to play on. Uh, and I'm actually doing the ridiculous thing where I could usually have a PC to play with, but no, I put my Steam Deck under my TV. I use that when I'm at home, and I use it on the train when I'm on the train or on the plane like I was on the on the flight over here. So I am playing it at any moment I physically can Brilliant um,
0: so is Baldur's, you would, would you say that Boulders Gate 3 is as good as all the reviews uh, make it out to be
2: um, I, 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 It's hard to say that sometimes because as somebody who is you know, spends all the time living and thinking about game design I want to be critical about everything And it's not a perfect game but it is a freaking amazing game uh, they happen, uh, again, as a, as a someone who's been playing d d since he was 10 years old, I'm talking about 1979 when it first came to the UK. Um, this is a game which is completely you know, authentic as, as far as you could do. But yes, there are some annoying little moments, like I can never, even though I'm an assassin now, I can't actually assassinate anybody because the moment I attack... I've lost the initiative. It's like, what? Um, but it's, it's, it's appropriate. It's, they're making an amazing Baldur's Gate commu- computer game that is as true to the rules of D&D as you could hope to and still make it playable.
0: Right. OK. Um so Jean-Luc um this the online controversy um started with a tweet from uh, Zlavian Nelson who uh-huh. uh, is uh, a lovely guy I've met him once I think um and uh this was this was a, a kind of a well-meaning tweet but it seems to have been taken the wrong way by gamers <laughs> Yeah,
1: I think that's probably the best way to put it. Um, the tweet itself, I feel like, has somewhat been misconstrued, maybe, or through like a, or the thread, sorry, the thread of tweets, through like a series of different interpretations that have now led it to maybe become a more, a wider comment than I think the initial statement might have been. This is my interpretation. Obviously, I can't speak for Salavia. I'm not Salavia. Um, but ultimately, I feel like the the core points of the thread were just that uh, Larian, like the developers of Baldur's Gate 3 had a certain uh, capacity and a certain amount of resources that isn't available uh, to, it had a unique game development cycle, basically. And that's not available to every studio. It's not available to every AAA studio. Uh, And so it's important to view what they've produced with a measure of, Uh, a pinch of salt, basically, to be able to say, how possible is this um, of producing a mega game of this scale um, that's been, you know, had six, been six years in the making, had three years of early access, that's allowed it to continue to be funded um, with a team of specialists that have made several games in this genre that have been hyper successful already and have the experience and resources to do that. What is the capacity for other studios to have all of those materials come together and still produce something amazing and I think the core point is that that's not super possible for a lot of people, a lot of studios. And in that case, game gamers should be willing to understand that not every RPG that comes out uh, is going to be like this and at this level. Where I think the confusion might have arisen um, is I think some view this as a... This view, Zalabia's view, as a protection of predatory practices across AAA, um, or hmm. practices they don't like across AAA, um, whether that is you know releasing with you know loads of issues, bugs, etc., cetera, before the game's ready, releasing with DLC already like built in instead of just including it, um, and a multitude of other issues. When I'm not sure that's what Zalabia was saying, really, uh, and that it wasn't about. Um, you need to... I think I have a quote from a video that was um, the idea this this tweet or this thread of tweets was saying, game development is hard, you don't get it, be quiet. And I don't think that was the point at all. I think the point was really, um, uh, yes, game development is hard, but it's also super expensive, it's massively high risk when you're making a game of this size, and so you can't expect every game to be this size. Um, not that AAA is perfect and you shouldn't comment on the things you don't like about it. I don't think anyone would agree with that.
0: Yeah. It it is unfortunate that I've seen a lot of responses, um, primarily on YouTube, um, to uh, Zalavia's perspective, uh, which took a variety of positions um, varying from kind of like, lazy devs just make a good game, like Larian did, to kind of like, as you say, like uh, this is sort of this is supporting microtransactions and and like um, various other um, anything else that we don't like. Um, so
2: well, we, people say they don't like, and yet they go and do. And you know what they actually don't like is people doing it inappropriately and inauthentically. You know what they actually don't like is when they make a horrible job of it um but that's you know maybe i'm, maybe I'm i yeah. think there
0: is potentially sort of like um split in the market between people who are willing to um uh pay for microtransactions and in, and uh, you know in, enjoy that sort of a game and that's yeah, not what this podcast
2: is for but i could absolutely go to town on that conversation oh, because... yeah, yeah. The, the um, Battlefield Online argument where we had exactly that happen, like 2011, very people who were complaining, the very people who spent the most money on, on them. Right. And it's, just, it's, it's about how they're managed, not about the thing. The trouble is we're so caught up in the hype cycle about saying, oh, that's terrible and evil because a couple, well, a number of, more than a few, but a number of people um, were really bad actors in that. And that has soured it for everybody. So we end up with a whole bunch of problems that are overhyped as negative, even further than they were already bad, and they were bad. And now we're in a situation where even making a game good can be problematic. So,
0: Sorry. so the trick is, I guess, um, without um, obviously the, the point of these conversation is, is not to just um, like. Uh, for former like form a wall with uh, Zalavia and like uh, dunk on all the uh, like um gamers who don't get game development um, how do we communicate better with the audience because at the end of the day all everything we make as game developers um, is for different like segments of the gaming audience yeah. <laughs> um and we want everything that we make to be well received. We want people to like it. We want pe- maybe people who are like not interested in in that particular genre to like maybe get into it as well. How, what how, what can we do to improve our communication with um with our audience about some of like the, these um the difficulties of like why every game can't be Baldur's Gate 3.
2: Well, I mean, I think the reason I want to step back on this a little bit is because at the end of the day, I don't think players actually expect every game to be able to get through. I think there's are kind of hype cycle, absolutely, I'm sad about it. Um, If you have an RPG game, this is now a fantastic example of what happens if a team has the resources to do something that is a complete experience. And the only companies that, as as, as I say, the only companies that can do that are the ones who already have track record, the capacity, the toolkit, the the framework, the experience, the publishing resources, the financial resources. And that only happens after decades of preparation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you look at three, it's a three for goodness sake. And there's so many references back to the first few. It's not even a three, if you think about it. How many extensions and then the Neverwinter Nights. I know it's not quite the same, but there's such a vast array of material, not just in the computer game, but in the whole sword coast mythology experiences. And I think, you know, like you said, the the, the, the power that D D has particularly gained post you know the pandemic experience, you know, with the critical roles, with the Dimension 20s, with the various other experiences out there with all the Maybe you didn't understand D and D like some of us um, have suddenly realised. What a powerful opportunity is for kind of storytelling with your friends is playful and that's magical. But that's not what games are. Right? It's not the definition of what a game is. A game does need to have a promise that's delivered. And I think when you have games where, actually, even that's not even true, you need a promise that feels satisfying you want to be left wanting more. Yeah. That's the challenge here. And when you see games where they haven't lived up to their promise, where you see games where the studio had to make difficult decisions, you know, and even some of these amazing AAA games, I sit there and I'm, I'm hugely frustrated. My classic joke I, I make is about Last of Us, which is both one of the best games you've ever seen. but At the same time, it's so full of what I call designer bullshit because I'm sitting there, and if I still kill people, I get no ammo. If I shoot them, I get loads of ammo. What the heck is that? About us? Loads is an exaggeration. But look, my point is, you know, designers play tricks on us intentionally in order to be able to create a world that feels bigger than it is. And in the case of Ball Lake, it happens to also be enormous. For other games, we try our best to make the game as satisfying as possible. with very, like, literally magic tricks where we're setting the scene, we're showing you, we're setting your expectation, and you're filling the rest of the game with your imagination. When we do that right, players are satisfied, even if it's a Tetris-like thing. But yeah. when we do that badly, we try and reach too far, and it's obvious we haven't satisfied that. That urge, then actually, to be honest, we're fair to be ambassador
1: Yeah, I feel like uh, sorry to jump in there. Um, I feel like the point you're you're making is uh, addresses the challenge of why do players, including us as players, feel this way about certain facets of the industry, like clearly this controversy or this like uh, discussion uh, is founded around a dissatisfaction with some with triple A in particular, but a lot in general, other facets of the industry. And I think feel like I feel like what you were saying was an answer to that in like, it's about failing to deliver what's promised. And I I agree with that. I think that the question um, that Chris initially asked about how do we um, bridge the gap in communication, because I feel like fundamentally that's what's been lost in this discussion is that there's a miscommunication um, in that at some point somebody decided that uh, saying that you can't expect every studio to make a game of this size and deliver it with the promise that is intended is somebody equated that with you think that predatory practices are fine in games. And that's clearly not the same thing. And there's been a miscommunication there, obviously. And I feel like that's what the question that you initially asked
2: was, Chris. But but more than that, some of those predatory practices are are, are essentially... My problem I had is you've got people accusing predatory practices where they don't exist. And there are bad implementations that look like predatory practice, I'm not saying there aren't predatory practices at all, but a lot of what's called predatory is a sometimes just a different business model. And, you know, understanding what, the failure for the, the game studio to just communicate their proposition, their, their value, the failure to focus on delivering things that players care about is the heart there, but someone throwing out the word currency practices, I think it's just misunderstanding. No, 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 you're not. I'm just saying, the market. Sorry, Chris, I'm I interrupt the the passion. That you can yeah, that's,
0: that's cool. <laughs> so, I mean, it's an interesting one because clearly, um, there are a whole bunch of different sectors of the market. There are um, there are people who will like uh, wait and like wait all year to buy the latest Call of Duty and um, uh, and play that all year until the next call of duty comes out then there are other people who go who will sort of like hoover up all of these um, uh, delightful little indie games that are only a few hours to play um, and they're very happy with that so different players have different tastes obviously but I think to a certain extent um, it depends uh, you can still have an indie game that feels too small because perhaps it has overpromised, or a AAA game um, that that doesn't uh, that doesn't deliver uh, in in the same way. So I guess it, it's it's very much about like managing the, those expectations so that players know whether they are going to get like an ex a vast expansive Baldur's Gate three style experience or whether they are signing up for something that's a little bit smaller and more intimate uh, that they can expect to be over in five or six hours um, so those things do already exist um, why, why is it that um, how have, we, have Zalavia's comments been taken so um, uh, been reacted to so aggressively by a certain sector mm-hmm. is what I'm wondering
2: I'm not entirely sure and I think it's because I mean we are talking about a platform that has had a certain amount of change shall we say that has a habit of um, I mean, there is a reality that if you have an opinion that is one that's going to cause opposition you're going to get seen and I don't want to dismiss the Frustration that people have had, and I think there is a genuine layer of frustration because of a series of games which have maybe not come out to the level expected. I get that, I mean, but then look at a game like you know, Last of Us, yeah, not Last of Us, sorry, No Man's Sky. I mentioned that, no, Man's, i got Last of Us from the in my brain because I said earlier, uh, No Man's Sky, look at No Man's Sky, right? Oh, that coming out, that got slammed for not being good enough. And then they've worked and worked and worked at it. And now they've got an amazing community of people who really fall in love with it. But they got slammed really hard. You know, Fallout 76 was terrible at launch. Absolutely awful, awful, awful. And that's one of my favorite games now because they fixed most of it. Um, and again, the community who were really into it are really into it. Did they burn players? Yes. Do you still hear people telling you it's terrible? Yes. Are those people playing the game? No. Well, why would they be? So I think there's a there's a definite kind of like maybe a bit of perspective, a bit of nuance. Um, at the end of the day, there's a lot of people who will hold up amazing content rightfully on a pedestal. Mm-hmm. And that's normal human behavior. But actually, if you think about the reality of what it took to make that, if you think about reality of what effort other people are also doing which is equally valid but maybe at a different scale but then we're caught in this ambition gap it's actually one of the things that whenever i'm doing kind of like um accelerator programs or lecturing mentoring that kind of stuff i'm always telling people to try and just do one thing don't try to make your opus magnus too many designers want to be the kind of auteur. They want to make their, 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 one-time project. They want to make that the first thing they do. You can't, you've got to build up to it. You've got to, you know, there, there are very few investors out there who will turn around and give you the complete free reign. And even if you had it more times than not, you'll screw it up. It's, it's called a difficult second album problem in music. It's like once you've had the success, to be able to get the credit, the investment, to be able to have the trust to make it, you then lose the very thing that made the first game so special—that constraint. Yeah, and I think that we forget constraint too easily.
0: Yeah, I mean, constraint is a, on game design is a fascinating thing. I mean, the biggest constraint that like we generally have uh, as game developers is time um yeah. because you, you, at some point you've got to finish the game and get it ready for market and there is e- every game i guarantee you that there's a whole bunch of stuff that was supposed to go into bouldersgate 3 that hit the cutting room floor because it wasn't no, quite ready in time um, yeah and in some ways i imagine they did okay because there's so much stuff in bouldersgate Baldur- <laughs> 3 that it was arguably relatively easy to say sort of like oh well we'll just we can just cut stuff that isn't up to scratch yet
2: probably necessary yeah um
0: yeah uh but that's a but that's an issue even at a very small scale for indie developers who are making something much much smaller <laughs> um and still have to maybe cut stuff that they would have liked to put in But at the indie scale, then the stuff that you're cutting is not going to be kind of like more side quest content. It's likely to be kind of things that some gamers would consider core features because they've seen it in so many other games.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Sorry,
1: I I was going to say I feel like this all drills back down to to manage your expectation, right? And. It's clear and when you pick up an an indie title of varying size, there's already an established expectation for what you might get, and I think that's part, and also you're paying less, most likely, so there's an element of, uh, I guess, there's there's clearly less animosity towards that side of the industry, Um, in comparison to AAA, where expectations are always through the roof and at their highest. Uh, and that's where most of the animosity is held. Or the like, I, I agree that it's definitely not a black and white issue and it's a gray area in every way, um, in terms of like, whether that animosity is valid or not and what ways and to what extent. I think it, you, obviously it's somewhat um, and everyone will have a different stance on on the details. But uh, I, really, I think it's about being transparent. I totally agree with what you said, Oscar, is that it's about being transparent about what and to uh, and and then sticking by that and trying to deliver that to the best of your abilities. Mm-hmm. And I think the one of the things that isn't uh, isn't necessarily done a huge amount is transparency on what you. I mean, you kind of allude to it in terms of you're saying a lot of the things people don't like is just different business models. And I think that pe- often AAA titles are released. Um, and people are upset because once they pay some money, they have to pay some more to do, to get more. And I think that, uh, which, is, which I don't have a problem with, like existing, uh, I think it's more a matter of if they make it clear that's what's going to happen, then players would probably be less upset about it when, it when they were confronted with it. Would that impact sales? That's a whole new, like, a whole new problem. But I guess that's the kind of my thought process on it. I, I feel like you're about to speak, so please.
2: No, no, I, you, you kind of nailed it I mean, there. I have a problem with charging a full price up front and then continuing to charge full price for ongoing material. Um, you know, I, I think pick a lane is an important thing. Um, I, I, I have a problem with the DLC model. I, there are certain games I'm very happy because the promise is met. You, know, um, you know, I... I have an issue if it's like you say it's been described this is why this is what you're gonna get and if it's my expectation of the quality is sufficiently high to get me over that price barrier fantastic but oddly that's what i find so almost like frustratingly hilarious is um if you really care about the game and you want to be able to keep on playing it and you want to have all those things that were left on the cutting room floor because we have to get it all packaged up and released on a particular release date then actually the game is with the ongoing revenue model. Where, I mean, it doesn't have to be micro transactions, but those ongoing models, if they are done well, and you create a genuine living experience, namely you've got constant, small, but consistent, predictable improvements to player quality of experience, then actually that live ops free-to-play model is actually what you really need. Now, it's unpopular at the moment because we've had people hate it by saying, here's the game. I'm going to give you DLC in six months. And yeah, that's live ops. No, it isn't just because you've got a server running. It is about maintaining and managing it authentically and ethically the, the, the community, but not every game is the same. Not every game has to be in that same model. You wouldn't use, you know, that model for, you know, a standalone, storytelling experience, although, although I think you could probably redesign a game like Baldur's Gate, it would not be Baldur's Gate, it would be a different game you could go to a game design like that where you build the world and then you build the events on the world and then you could have continuous adventures in that world that you love, but it wouldn't be the same experience, probably Yeah, I mean that
0: would be that would rec- as you say that would be a different pitch to the player um and there would also that would presumably require um like an ongoing release cadence of content because you wouldn't be able to ship it with all of the content available from day one
2: but you wouldn't need to and actually the joy of that model is that you don't want to and the, if it's done right you're talking about having a a lot of that content as 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 configuration and, and writing and you're reusing a lot of the existing material. So you get much more value out of the whole thing that already exists that you care about and you want to learn out. Yeah. I think this is the argument game like you can write a game as a film or you can write a game as a TV show. Why aren't we writing games as soap operas? Obviously, why not? Yeah. I mean, the soap opera narrative model is really interesting and it goes for decades.
0: Yeah, there's a series of overlapping story I mean, arcs involving different characters who who come into the into the. Oh, mix and what and then go, what
2: go world would that work with? Oh, um, Baldur's Gate would kind yeah. of think I, wouldn't I, it? I, yeah,
1: I, I feel like the closest example you have to that, like story-driven, or one of the the immediate example that popped to mind is probably not the closest is MMOs, basically, but where. It's like, story, you have a world, it has a foundational story, and then there's a new content release that adds more story, ultimately. Um, and yeah, that's kind of what it what immediately made me think of when you said that.
2: And it, and it is a classic example, and a lot of my thinking comes out of going through that cycle since like Meridian 59. Like if anyone's old enough to remember Meridian 59, yeah, I, I was there too. Um, but actually, I, I go back so far. I played a game called in 1984, an online text-based multiplayer dungeon. Uh, yeah, I got old. But I, actually, one thing. Uh, sorry, I, I'm hogging things. I do apologize. Um, just one, one example of a, of a not, not D&D, it was Vampire the Masquerade. Yeah. But what was really interesting about like, the Vampire Masquerade that was originally pitched back in the what, 90s, was they built in the mechanics so that you could actually run the games as a dungeon master with your friends. Um, I actually had the whole um, uh, UK Camarilla, so the the Vampire the Masquerade um, social community, um, all in a room with the original uh, publishers, uh, pitching that we would run it as a live role-playing game and the publisher at the time didn't want to know because they didn't think there was anything in role-playing then.
0: well alas yeah I think history has uh, proven that there's definitely mileage in that particular genre um, <laughs> I did want to um, pick up on a, a point that you made though that I think one of the issues that, that um, to a certain extent hamstrings the, particularly the AAA industry is that um, games nowadays are vastly more expensive to make than they were even ten years ago, um, but prices have not changed significantly. Because, well, the amount it, it, they have the the end price has changed in the sense that like you end up paying more money because the publishers are trying to extract enough money to cover the cost of making the damn game um, from An audience who will, who are still clinging to sort of like wanting to play pay fifty quid for um for a game. Now, even though the market has also grown significantly in the last ten years, yeah, um, there's. I don't. Uh, Yeah, I I I feel. Sorry, sorry. go on, Jean Jean Luc. I was going to
1: say, I feel like this, uh, this is like being echoed in other entertainment industries as well, like like film, right? Mm. The Bit, blockbuster films cost millions, like the biggest films cost millions and make loads and loads of profit. But studios can't afford to make low; they can't afford for them to flop, basically. And I feel like games have now reached that threshold at a triple hmm. A level, like these these huge, huge titles. Yeah, and um, and I, I think that this was. Uh, I mean, if you look at Baldur's Gate, that thread that we started talking about, I think. In there, as Olivia mentions, 400 devs over six years, in uh, not including outsourcers, yeah. with a three year early access that allowed them to gain some more revenue to fund that extra period to really fine tune it and make it better. And from a personal perspective, I have a friend who bought Baldur's Gate 3 in early access like a couple of years ago uh, and was like, yeah, this is a buggy mess, but I love it and I think it's going to be great. And two years later, Absolutely correct. But if that game hadn't had the capacity to do that um, and to make those fine-tuned changes, then it wouldn't. It wouldn't have been what we're all talking about now, right? That it's so exceptional. So it, it really paints a picture of the fact that the restrictions, financial restrictions, uh, that come with making a game of this size, of this quality, with this level of polish, with this number of people, is uh, it is not possible for a lot of different, a lot of people, most.
2: But there are some things we can take from it that anyone can do and anyone should do. And that is getting that game in front of real players as early as possible gets you real feedback. Yeah. And, you know, as much as we've done, I mean, we had a, um, uh, an internal kind of, t- you know, qualitative testing. So we'd actually have to in the room we'd sit there and we'd work through with them. And see how they would play the game. We'd have third parties who were not us in the team who would be managing that process and we'd get some real deep insight on what's going on. That still meant nothing. Well, not nothing. It wasn't, it wasn't really relevant. What's relevant is when you get real people putting down their hard, old hard cash and trusting you. But if you're going to do that, you've got to give so much value to those people and appreciation of those people because what they're doing by putting up with your you know, your dodgy bugs and your, your dodgy storylines and all that kind of stuff is they are helping you make that game better. But we also need players to understand that's what we're doing. When we do early access, if you see an early access that's being done authentically by a team that's really trying, you may see no change happening in that game. But there is a ton going on in terms of the back end, the server, the infrastructure, the art, the polish, the... uh, Even just setting up the you know the mechanics to be able to sell something in for that game, all of those things are profoundly difficult. So there there is a bit of a give and take. We we need to get our games in front of players, but we also need players to trust it. Even if it seems to take a while for us to get it right, that's a that's a tough call to make.
0: Yeah, that's um, that's an that's an excellent. Conclusion to a uh, um, end on, I think, Oscar, um, Jean-Luc. Do you have anything to add? No, I think you know we've rounded it off nicely
1: there. Which is that, yeah, I mean, yeah, there's stuff that game Devs can improve on and try to do, and equally, players can can help with doing that. So we can all work together to make better games.
0: <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's something that we can all that's agree. The
2: goal. That's the and goal. we can go off in the sunset with the flowers in the garden, and it's all <laughs> going to be fine.
0: Okay, thank you so much, John, Luca, and Oscar. Um, thank you um, I've been Chris Payne. Uh, we are Game Dev London. Um, pop along to gamedevlondon.net uh, to, uh, to find links to our Discord and uh, our the rest of our podcasts on the podcast app of your choice or youtube and um we will see you next week GameDev.London, dot london sorry <laughs> i was doing so well <laughs> see you next week